What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show comes to you as we wait for the Giants to play the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next Monday in uh, what will be their their week 8 contest and we've got a, so we've got a little bit of a break between the Giants game last Thursday against the Philadelphia Eagles and next Monday against the Buccaneers a little bit of a break with the Giants at 1 and 6 so we're more or less going to look at this show as a mid-season review of your 1 and 6 New York Giants and and here to help me sort of break things down, give a little different perspective to uh to what we've seen so far from the Giants is is Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants and Giants Country. Patty, nice to have you on the show. It's been Yes it has Ed. All right. So uh so lots you know lots to talk about with the Giants and and you know here's here's kind of the first thing I want to start with Patty. Uh after the game on Thursday, really, you know, one point loss for the Giants, blow an 11 point lead in the last six minutes, fall to one and six in a game that, that could have put them, you know, in the middle of the race in what is a really, really bad NFC East. And, I listened to Joe Judge, I listened to players talk in the post game on Thursday, and I was very surprised by this sort of, oh, ho-hum, we lost another game, we tried hard, you know, sort, sort of, sort of attitude. There just didn't seem to be as much, other than from Evan Ingram, who dropped that critical pass, not as much sort of fire and real disappointment as I, as I might have expected. And, and Joe talked a lot about, well, we have to grind out wins. And he started throwing out the, well, we're, it just sounds like we're not very good kind of stuff. And I was a little bit surprised by, by just the tone of what I heard. Were you, were you surprised as well? I think disappointed is a better word, Ed. Um, this is a team, you know, it's funny. Somebody asked me once, do I feel that the Giants have just kind of gotten so beaten down over the years that they expect to lose? And then when it happens, they're just so numb to it that they just don't know how to react otherwise. And I wondered that because I, you know, I heard the same thing. 
that you did. And, and I wondered just, you know, is this team so used to losing that it's like, all right, well, you know, we tried, but we'll get them next week. You know, you know, there, there was that lack of emotion. So I think there could be something to that. Um, if there is, that would be, certainly be disappointing. Um, you know, I'm not saying necessarily get up and throw chairs and trash bins around, but, but, you know, show some spark for goodness sake. I mean, you had a golden opportunity and I don't know if that's just, you know, Joe Judge preaching to them saying, look, you know, the game is over. You know, there's no point in getting angry, put that energy towards getting better. I don't know if that's the message he's giving them. I guess would be yes. But yeah, I mean, at what point do you just say, look, stop being so darn robotic and show some emotion over having blown an opportunity? Yeah, because that was a game that, you know, I don't care if you can say, well, you know, we're, we've got some injured guys. We don't have a, a roster that's fully developed. We've got, you know, whatever we have and don't have. That was a game that was there to be won if you simply executed a couple of plays in the last six minutes of the game. And, and, you know, professional athletes have to be able to catch passes that hit them in, in both hands. And, and, you know, you, you, you have to be able to make enough plays in the last six minutes to win that football game. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had, um, a, someone for, on my Twitter feed trying to defend Evan Ingram for that drop pass. And I'm like, there is no defense of that. If the ball hits you on that, first of all, the, when I saw that pass live, I remember saying, oh, alligator arms, because I didn't feel Evan Ingram extended as far as he could have. You know, the other thing is, is, okay, the game is on the line. Why are you not at least diving for that ball? You had nobody in front of you. It just, to me, the whole play reeked of effort, of, of you know, execution, everything. Yeah, the thing that bothered me before we move to to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, the, the, the thing that bothered me, and I had an argument with somebody on my staff at Big Blue View about it, is... I don't care if the pass was, you know, two inches too far to the left or two inches too far to the right or an inch overthrown. That pass was right, pretty much right where it needed to be. It hit him in both hands without what would have needed to be an, ex- and, and it could have been caught without an extraordinary effort. And it came on a play that those of us who watch the Giants and, and, and those who are fans of the Giants, I think we've been begging for the Giants to send Evan Ingram on a downfield route all season. And, and there it was, and it could have sealed the game, and it just didn't get caught. Exactly. I mean, look, can you blame the coaches for that one? I know I can't. They can only do so much. They can only, you know, call the plays, but – at the end of the day, they're not pulling strings and making the players catch the ball or, you know, break through holes or whatever the case may be. And I just felt like the effort really bothered me uh, more than anything. And then, like you said, the post-game reaction where it was almost like, you know, oh, well, we lost again. That that was like, come on, man. You, you guys just got, you know, the, the rug pulled out from under you. Why are you not more upset? Yeah, I agree. So Patty, let's, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's get away from the, from the Eagles game a little bit. Let's move on 
to another topic that has to be really, really concerning after seven games. And for me, that's the play. First round pick, fourth overall pick, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle who basically when you look at the numbers at this point, he's probably been the worst left tackle in football to this point. If you, if you look at all the various pro football focused data, um, I think he's a 21 year old kid. This is my perspective. He's a 21 year old kid. You couldn't have expected him to be perfect. You had to anticipate some struggles. And yet I'm going back and I'm looking at all of the things that were said about Andrew Thomas before the draft and when he was drafted. Um, high feeling this pick because risky of the four offensive tackles that were early first round picks. And I'm just mystified by what I'm seeing right now. And I'm mystified by the fact that we see the exact same mistakes week after week, failure to pick up stunts, inability to handle an inside spin move, and an inability to plant his feet and stop anybody from bull rushing him back into the quarterback. I mean, have you reached a point with Andrew Thomas where you're beginning to worry about about his long-term viability? I would say I'm concerned, but you know what this reminds me of, Ed? This this reminds me of the Eric Flowers situation. I know people don't want it. They're like, oh, no, not again. But if you remember, Eric Flowers, when he was initially drafted, the plan was to play him at right tackle. And then what happened? Will Beatty got hurt. So they had to move Eric Flowers over to the left side. Now, what I wonder and I don't know if this is, you know, this holds any water, but I'll just throw it out here for you. I wonder if Andrew Thomas maybe spent the off season training to practice at right tackle, which, as you know, you know, people say, oh, you just flip the sides, it's easy, and it's not. We we all know that. I wonder if maybe that's some of the problem, you know, that's creating some of the problems, um, you know, because Nate Solder opted out. Obviously, the Giants were counting on having him. Um, and then the other issue is, you know, you, you mentioned stunts and not for nothing, but Will Hernandez has been part of that problem as well. Now, with all that said, there are definitely some technique issues that Andrew Thomas has struggled with, and his biggest issue has been consistency. So I'm not sure what Mark Colombo, the offensive line coach, is doing with this kid. Um, one thing I just wrote about, I just put an, art, uh, an article up on Giants Country in which I wrote about things I want to see in this, like, second half of the season. Give this kid some help, for heaven's sakes. I mean, he's been out on an island. Okay, I know he's the fourth overall pick. He shouldn't need help. But if he's struggling, before his con- his confidence just totally blows up, give him some help. Have a, a tight end chip or, or do something to help this kid settle down because, you know, look, people are screaming, oh, put him on the bench. That's not going to help him. All right. You, he's got to play through some of these issues. The coach has got to do some stuff, too, to help him as well. Agreed, Patty. And the one thing that, that you mentioned that I, I did want to, uh, want to go back to is the preparation for the season because I have wondered the same thing. I have wondered 
if Andrew Thomas, the Giants would never admit it. They would never say, look, our plan is to play Andrew on the right and Nate Solder on the left. But I think it was pretty apparent that it made no sense, you know, after nine or 10 years at left tackle, it made no real sense to move Nate Solder, you know, to, to the right and, and play Andrew Thomas on, on the left. So I wonder the same thing. Did he spend months leading up to the season, you know, preparing to play on the right side? And then all of a sudden, you know, when we got to, to training camp and all of that, have to, have to go to the left. And, you know, and we always talk about young players needing reps and needing practice and, and, and needing all of those things. And if that's the case, it has to be a handicap. Yeah, I mean, again, it reminds me of Eric Flowers all over again. And, you know, Eric Flowers, the big thing with him is he just reached a point where he was uncoachable. I Thomas is at that, that point right now. What I do think, though, is, you know, this kid is struggling with some basic fundamentals. You know, I know – from here, you know, listening to Mark Colombo that he's been on him about, you know, fixing some of this stuff and cleaning stuff up. And Colombo takes a, you know, he takes probably more blame than he should with how that whole line is playing, let alone Andrew Thomas. But um, with that said, it is, it is disappointing. It is somewhat alarming to see what has happened. I don't think you give up on the kid. Like I said, putting him on the bench is not going to solve any problems. It's not going to, you know, all it's going to do is it's going to further stunt his growth. And I, I just, you know, I just wonder, you know, you factor into the equation that, oh, no off season, you know, a, 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 an abbreviated kind of training camp. And again, I know everybody went through that, but how many of the top tackles, you know, Tristan Wirfs and Mackie Becton and all those guys, Jedwick Wills, how many of those guys kind of knew right before, you know, or I should say right after they were drafted, where they were going to play and, and came in and played in those spots? Right. You know, the other thing before we move on to another topic that that keeps coming up, and I'm sure you get asked about it all the time, is what should the Giants do with Matt Pert? And at this point, what I say about this is it's a twofold thing. First and foremost, I think Matt Pert needs to be in the starting lineup this coming Monday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Giants are one six that we've seen of Pert have been intriguing enough that make you think he belongs in the lineup. And the other thing is Cam Fleming the only reason people are not killing Cam Fleming is because he is because of how bad Andrew Thomas is playing. Cam Fleming is not playing all that well. And the second part of that is people keep saying, well, put Pert on the left and Thomas on the right. And to be honest, I don't care which side these guys play on. I just want to see them both in the lineup because it's pointless at this point at one and six. It's pointless for, for these guys not to be playing. Yeah, I, I agree, Ed. And, and you know, one of the, I, I wrote an article about the three guys that have 
trade value that I think have trade value. You know, we, we all know the names, Golden Tate, Kevin Zeitler. Those were a couple names that Albert Breer reported um, could be on the move. I even threw Evan Ingram in there. And in my article about Kevin Zeitler, I see the potential value of, of moving him. And one scenario that, that um, a source, you know, proposed to me that was that if the Giants are able to move Zeitler, Move Cameron Fleming to right guard because, look, it's kind of obvious that Shane Lemieux is not ready to, to step into the lineup. If he were, he would probably get snaps here and there, I would think. And he hasn't. The only snaps he's gotten, if, if you go back and look, has been as a, like a blocking tight end, a jumbo tight end, and a fullback. Whereas Matt Pert has actually gotten snaps, you know, at, at offensive tackles. So, it was proposed to me or suggested to me that if they move Kevin Seitler, move Cameron Fleming to right guard, put Matt Hurt in at right tackle, and, you know, now you've got your, your bookend tackle set for, you know, the, the rest of the year and, and, and looking ahead. You know, is that a bit risky now because you have two rookie offensive tackles? Perhaps, but, you know, could, could it things be any worse? I mean, I, I don't know. Not really, Patty. I don't think they could be in terms of, of the tackle play. Patty, I want to take a quick break here for a word from our SV Nation sponsors. When we come back, I've got a uh, a couple of other topics that uh, that I want to get into with you. So uh, hold on, folks. We'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on the Valentine's Views podcast. Ed Valentine with you, talking with Patricia Trainant, mostly... Uh assessing your one in six New York Giants at the uh at what is really for them the, the midpoint of the uh, the 2020 NFL season. Patty, we are a few days away from the NFL trade deadline. The Giants have already made one move sending Marcus Golden to the Arizona Cardinals. Joe Judge has said he doesn't see a string of moves coming. So he doesn't necessarily see a, a sale coming, but I, I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be a fire sale, but I do think the Giants have to be open to, to, to selling off some assets, to selling off Kevin Zeitler if they can get a decent return to, to selling off Evan Ingram if they get 
if someone is willing to give them a day two draft pick, you know, to moving Golden Tate, to moving, you know, whatever pieces they can, because they have to be more about the future than the present. You, uh, you agree with me there or not? Absolutely. I mean, look at the salary cap. Look at the contracts. That tells you everything you need to know. Does anybody out there really think that Kevin Zeitler, who I think he has a, I want to say a 14 million cap hit, is going to be on this team next year? I don't. He hasn't played very well either. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. That's the other thing. Does anybody think that Golden Tate is going to be on this roster? And I think he's got like the second highest cap hit under, you know, on the team next year. I don't. So if you can move these guys, you know, yes, they would probably be rentals, you know, get at least Golden Tate would, I think. But if you can move these guys, why wouldn't you? Um, I think Zeitler's under contract through 2021. I think Tate is as well. It's not really a rental, so I take that back. But, you know, why not move them to a team that maybe is in contention and needs that one player? You know, as for Evan Ingram, that into, I don't want to say an argument, but a, a heat, let, let's just say it was a debate with one of my, my readers. And the individual said to me, Oh, why would you trade Evan Ingram? He's such a, a good young talent. I'm like, okay, that being said, he's also a coach killer. You know, we've, we've been talking about Evan Ingram's talent now for what, four seasons? We've been talking about how he could be a weapon in this offense. He has gone through three offensive coordinators, and we have seen the same thing. At what point do we say to ourselves, okay, there's something wrong with the game that the player is playing. There's something maybe wrong with the effort that we're seeing. And we saw that, you know, on the, uh, you know, against the Eagles. That, that was a perfect example. So, yes, you don't want to trade off good young talent, but – is anybody going to sit there and convince me that Evan Ingram next year is going to be worth upwards of $6 million, which is, I believe that base salary is going to be more than what a George Kittle gets? Uh-uh. You're not going to convince me of that. I'm sorry. So if you can move him and get a day two draft pick, as you said, then, then do it. I mean, look, at this point, you know, it's, I hate to make this comparison because we're talking humans versus an inanimate object, but it's like a new car. The minute you drive that car off the lot, it begins to depreciate in value. So if you go and you try to sell it, you are never going to get what you paid for it. So anyone who was sitting there and saying, oh, the Giants shouldn't move Evan Ingram unless they can get a first rounder or a second rounder, I don't see that happening. He's been in the league now for, what, four years. He's established a kind of an injury history. If he can get a day two pick for him, grab it and run. I agree wholeheartedly with that, Patty. First of all, he's not that young anymore. He's in his fourth season in the league. He's at the midpoint of his NFL career. We know pretty much exactly what Evan Ingram is at this point. He's a guy that will, that will tantalize, he'll tease, but he's just not a guy who you would put Maybe talent wise, maybe physical skills wise, speed wise, you would, but he's just not a guy you're going to put in the upper echelon of tight ends when you start, you know, when you start ranking those guys. And Peter King wrote this on Monday morning. He said, he's just not a guy that whether, you know, whenever that time comes, because I know the Giants have already picked up his fifth year option. 
for next year. He's just not a guy you can give a big second contract to. He's just not. So I, I think we've, we've proven that. And, and you're a hundred percent right. I get frustrated sometimes by, well, he's got speed. Why doesn't, why doesn't the, the offensive coordinator get him vertical down the field a little bit more? But he's on his third offensive coordinator, his third system, his third head coach. If, if that, if that was really there, I think somebody would have tapped into it by now and, 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 and gotten more out of him than, than what we've seen. So I, I, I don't think you can give him away, but I think if you can get a third round pick, I, I'm with you. I think you take it and run. Yeah. And I, and I want to make something clear because some people out there are accusing me of, of this being personal. It, nothing could be further from the truth. This is not anything personal against Evan Ingram. I like him. I've had many conversations with him, both on and off the record, both about football and life in general. I find him to be an absolute delight and and, and a, a good person. So this is not personal. We are talking pre- – and I look at roster building from – or at least I try to look at roster building from a business perspective. Is the production matching the money that you're about to pay out? And I'm sorry, I just don't see it. We've been hearing about it for, for three, four years. I thought, okay, Ingram is definitely going to flourish under Jason Garrett because look at how, you know, the tight ends down in Dallas flourished under Garrett. That hasn't happened. And at this point, you know, and one of the things I wrote about in, in an article I just put out on um, offensive adjustments we'd like to see in the second half of the season why not see what you've got in Caden Smith? Now, I know Caden Smith isn't as athletic as Evan Ingram, but he's got a better catch percentage rate, number one. I think he's a hell of a lot better blocker, number two. Why wouldn't you give this guy more snaps? I, I just don't understand it. If Ingram's going to drop passes and hurt you, why why keep you know doing that to yourself? That's like putting your hand back on the hot stove and continuing to burn it. Yeah, that's, I, I agree, Patty. So let's, let's talk about one more thing that I think we have to address really over the final nine games. And really we're just talking about what to expect, what we want to see from the Giants over the final nine games. And a lot of that involves Daniel Jones. And I still think that much of the rest of the season is about Daniel Jones and is about figuring out once and, you know, maybe not once and for all whether he's going to be the guy for the next 10 years, but figuring out whether you go forward with Jones after this season. And to be honest, I think the Giants are going to win some games the rest of the season. I think they're they're not going to be in the Trevor Lawrence discussion. I think it gets interesting if they're in – range to choose Justin Fields of Ohio State or Trey Lance from North Dakota State, the other two guys considered to be the top quarterback. I think this a lot of the rest of the season remains to about Jones. And, and as I said, I think the Giants I don't think this team's going one in fifteen. I mean I don't think they're I don't think they're winning nine straight games, but I think they're gonna win some games and I think they're gonna end up out of that that sort of quarterback discussion. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me or, or not there. Uh, you know what, Ed? I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I guess 
I think they could steal a game here and there, but I, you know, I had originally originally hoped they would maybe go eight and eight, maybe nine and and six. I guess I, I or nine and seven rather. Um, I, I was being overly optimistic, which I tend to be. I know that. Um, I I don't know that schedule. Maybe you know Cincinnati. I could see it, but I I think you're right that. You have to see what you've got in Daniel Jones. I know people are screaming, okay, put him on the bench, and what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to start Colt McCoy? I mean, I, I don't think that's going to help him. You know, it's like Andrew Thomas. You've got to let the young kid work through this. I think what I'm – what my biggest concern with Daniel Jones right now is I don't see any improvement in the mental processing aspect of his game. He's still taking way too long to make decisions. In some cases, it's still taking long to get the ball out of his hands. He's missing guys who are wide open because I don't think he's scanning the entire field. And I'm sorry, I know somebody wrote this, I forget who it was, but I see him locking in on receivers to where I can call out where the ball's going before it comes out of the hand. All right? So this is all stuff that I had hoped would start to improve after, you know, his rookie season, and it hasn't. So with that said, this season is going to be about, you know, seeing what you've got in him because his offensive line hasn't been, you know, let's be honest, it hasn't been sharp at times. The receivers and the tight ends have dropped balls or they haven't separated and they've made it more difficult for him. But, you know, at some point, Daniel's got to stop with the turnovers. Some of these turnovers are on him, not all of them, but but a good number of them and, and, and just – the little things that happened last year are continuing to happen. And, you know, you could slice this any way you want. You could say, oh, he's only played about 16-plus games as a full-time starter. Okay, la-di-da. He's also been in the league now two two years. He's 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 learned the game, you know, at a, at a more advanced level. And, goodness, David Cutcliffe, his college coach at Duke, is probably one of the best out there when it comes to grooming quarterbacks. And, you know, it, it have – has Daniel Jones reached a ceiling? I mean, I sure hope that's not the case, but it's certainly a legitimate question that you have to ask. Sure it is, Patty. And the one thing that, that I have talked to people about, uh, in particular, you know, Mark Schofield, who does a lot of work for me at Big Blue View, is a really, really outstanding quarterback analyst. I know you've had him on, on your, on your show a few times, but the one thing that bothers me about Daniel Jones is, that I wonder if some of the things that we see, some of the, the mental processing that you've talked about, you know, some of the, the, the slow decision making that we see, I wonder if some of that is just innate. I, I wonder if there are simply things that we see with Daniel Jones that are just, this is what he is. Given a chance to use his feet, you know, he can do some things. Given his first read, being open, you know, he throws a really good ball. He can really make some plays, but I wonder if some of that decision making is just, is just what he is because, you know, maybe he's only played 16, 17 NFL games, but he's been playing quarterback since high school. He, it's not like he's new to the position. So I, I, I'm concerned that some of the, the, the mistakes that we see and some of what we see is, is maybe not correctable. 
Yeah, you know, I had that discussion with somebody as well. I said, you know, do you think what we see is what we're going to get out of Jones? And and this person um, who who happens to be a football coach uh, at the uh, the college level that I know told me, he said, yeah, you know, I, I hate to say it. I think, you know, if he hasn't taken that next step forward, especially after playing under Cutcliffe, you know, maybe what you see is what you're going to get with this kid, you know. You would hope that wouldn't be the case because um, quarterbacks usually start to really come into their own by their by the end of their second, beginning of their third season. And I just don't see that big of a step forward by Daniel Jones. Yeah, I saw the other day I was watching a, a Buffalo Bills game and, and I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but the stat that was shown was a comparison of Josh Allen's first 16 games to the second 16 games that he started as an NFL quarterback and the jump in you know completion percentage and amount of turnovers and in all of the the relative or relevant statistical categories the jump made in his second season was really stark and that's the thing that we're not seeing with Daniel Jones his if, if you look at his numbers, it's a flat line at this point and, and it's not getting better. And yeah, he's not surrounded by, by greatness by any means, but the things that we saw a year ago are still the things that we see now and, and it's concerning. Yeah, it is, you know, and, and I really, again, maybe I, I just over, well, not maybe, apparently I did, but I tended to be optimistic, and when I saw the hire of Jason Garrett, I thought, oh, this is going to be a tremendous benefit for Daniel Jones because Garrett is a former NFL quarterback. You know, they don't have Eli anymore, so Garrett, is, is, is to, to me, was probably the next best thing. And then, you know, they bring in Colt McCoy, who I think, you know, is underrated as a backup and as a mentor, but I just don't see that jump. I see baby steps being taken by Jones, but just I also see a lot of the same stuff happening with him, and it just drives me crazy because you just know that that okay, there's more to it, and you know the kid's working hard. I mean, that's that's been said by a lot of people, but why isn't it translating? And and I don't want to go and compare him to a Dave Brown because Dave Brown, I, I, I don't know if you remember. If you were covering at the time, I covered Dave Brown when he was here. He was a hard worker. He he used to come in and do all the right things and say all the right things. But, you know, he was a disaster. I don't want to think that, that Daniel Jones is a disaster. I really don't. But um, he's got to he's got to pick it up. There's no doubt about it. All right, Patty, I think uh, I think that's probably a good point for us to uh to to stop here giants fans thank you very very much for listening as always patty thank you very very much for for spending some time with me folks make sure you check out patty's work at giants country and at locked on giants and uh, giants fans we'll talk to you soon bye-bye now what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the prop g podcast and an entrepreneur myself Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. 
So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.